Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Today's guest is Michelle Woodward, my monthly guest co-host, and we're going to be talking about being a learner, being a lifelong learner. We're going to talk about being horrible at new things, the learner's mindset, my version of being a slow learner. And then the other side is how to advocate for yourself and being open to feedback. So thanks so much for listening and I'll circle back afterwards. Michelle, hello and welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's always fun to talk with you. And the listeners love it. It's great. Like I get these emails. I need us to start forwarding them on to you so that you, you know, you can be a part of the conversation. You see sometimes the Twitters, the tweets that go out there with people who are just so happy to, you know, hear these conversations. So again, thanks. And today we're going to talk about being a learner. I, I This has been brought home to me this last 10 days in a very powerful and personal way. In because I started Pilates, <laughs> and um, and you know I'm a 55 year old woman. I've always been fairly athletic, um, but I've never I did Pilates once. It was like a, one of those spa things, you know, deal mm-hmm. go to Pilates where you lay on the floor, and it was me and a friend of mine, my friend Wendy, and about 20 older women in slacks. You know, they that was their exercise clothes were slacks. So that didn't really count. So there's a Pilates place that's open near my house. And a lot of my friends have been going to another location and asking me, come, 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 you'll love it, it'll be great. But just logistically from a travel standpoint, um, you know, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, we have horrible traffic, and I just could never get there. So they opened it literally a mile from my house. I have no excuse. (laughs) And as you know, I had my meniscus repaired in May and Mm -hmm. I've been rehabbing the knee and I thought, well, you know, this would be actually a good exercise for me to also help rehab my knee. So I went to Pilates the first day. I had the wrong socks. I didn't realize they're Pilates socks. Um, And I was horrible at it. I mean, I wasn't just like, I was, I was really spazzy and I didn't understand the directions. I realized about myself, I'm a visual learner Mm -hmm. and every one of the machines was taken. So the instructor, instructor couldn't lay down and show you the proper form. Plus half the class had done Pilates before a lot and half the class hadn't done it. And, um, so I didn't know what to do. So she would say, put your legs in tabletop and I can't see anybody. And I don't actually know what that means, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had this feeling of complete loserhood, right? But instead of saying to myself, Michelle, you are a, the, a terrible Pilates person, I said to myself, using Carol Dweck's work from the book Mindset, mm-hmm. I'm sure it can only go up from here. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I said to myself is, I'm going to give this a month because they have a $99 first month (laughs) special. I'm going to give this a a month. And if I don't get it in a month, then I'm going to decide it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And 
I think having that learner's mindset mm-hmm. has been so valuable in so many ways, but in this particular way, now I've gone three times since I think the first one was last Saturday. Wait. So yeah, I think I've gone three times and I'm, I'm marginally and consistently getting better. Mm-hmm. There are people who say, well, maybe that's not the right thing for you. And I think, Ooh, that's not being a learner. Like mm-hmm. every time I'm thinking, can I learn where my hands are supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Can I learn how I'm actually supposed to be sitting up? What can I learn here today? Mm-hmm. And it is just a powerful and opening mindset. So that's what I, why I wanted to talk about learning. Well, it's so important. And in this quick fix world where, you know, I call us Googleizers, we have a question, we go to Google, there comes the answer or we think the answer, right? There's this immediate response. And with learning a new skill set, learning, being a newbie, even though we may be active in other areas, being a newbie. I mean, this happens in this, in swimming. People who are really, really active, like triathletes, good runners, good cyclists, they get in the pool and they're like, what's wrong? Like, I, I'm fit. I can, I have the endurance. How come I can't do this? It's a different skill set. And I even had to do that some years ago when I went back to physical therapy because 12 years ago, I went in and I said, oh, he's just going to fix me. I'm going to walk in the door. I'm going to walk out and I will be fixed. I was pretty naive in that. And then so when I re- finally would return after years later, but four or five years ago, I was starting to get frustrated with myself because I go every week to my physical therapist. And again, it was like, I know how to do the big muscle group movements, right? But it's in like with Pilates, it's a lot like with my physical therapy. It's those small movements, Right. And it was just me trying to get, you know, my pelvis in a certain place by like half an inch and needing that precision. And I could get frustrated with myself with these and having these thoughts of, I should know better. This is what I do. I was an athlete. I've taught people how to move their body. Why can't I do that? And that would shut me down. And, you know, and, and, and then I could think, well, the, the amount of time it takes and why am I doing this? And it's taking too long. And that's how people get in the way of themselves versus the Carol Dweck thing of like, okay, this is where I am now. If I practice, how much, you know, what can I learn? And so one day I went in and this physical therapist is like, he's very, very good at what he does. And I looked at Michael and I said to him, because I had a bit of shame about this, you know, I should know better. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not good enough, right? And, and I said to Michael, I looked at Michael, I go, Michael, I am a slow learner. <laughs> and he looked at me and he smiled. He goes, that's okay, Corinne. I'm a slow learner too. And that was the best permission I ever mm-hmm. had, right? Because here was this man who is like the back guy in our area, in Northern California. Tons of physical therapists go to train with him. And he's kind of rough and grumble, you know, and he, he's coached wrestling and stuff. And and we we sent our high-level athletes to him. And so he's somebody that we I hold in high respect. He really knows the human spine. And all of a sudden, when he said, I'm a slow learner, that meant it wasn't about my intelligence. It wasn't about me not good at being good enough. We have a way to process and that's okay, right? And, and in this, like, again, this quick fix, this quick thing, it's, we, we expect more from ourselves instead of realizing like with Pilates, a month is a good amount of time to practice to get beyond like all those thoughts that we have, you know, and then really being able to, 
understand like those small movements. Where do the hands go? Oh, different socks would be helpful, right? All these little things that we can start to change and then we can be present in the thing that we're doing instead of in getting out of all the judgment. Does that make sense? Yes, and being a good advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you go in with a learner's mind or a child's mind or however you want to, whatever way you want to call it, an open mind, you know, instead of being all caught up in shame, I should be better at this because I'm an athletic person and I used to swim butterflies. So you have to be <laughs> semi-coordinated to do that, right? But it's like I can be, I can be there and say, this is my third class. Mm-hmm. I really want to, I can talk to the instructor and I can say, this is my third class. I really want to focus on form. So please correct me. And I'm still rehabbing my knee after meniscus surgery, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I'm in a, a fixed mindset, if I'm in a closed mindset, if I'm in my expertise, I can't be that advocate for myself, which may mean I get hurt. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I might physically tear my ACL or I might, I might do something to my, mm-hmm. to myself, but by keeping that learner's mind, that, that child mind, that open mind, I actually make the space to be a good advocate for myself. And I think this is one thing that the men and women that I work with uh, really struggle with is how to be a, not a whiny advocate for yourself, but a positive and appropriately assertive advocate for yourself. And I think the key to it is, is to go into it as a learner and with curiosity mm-hmm. instead of saying, this is Waterloo and I've got to, you know, I've got to put my stake in the ground and it's live or die. It's like, how, how can I learn about this? You know, help me understand this a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It's such a better way to go into a difficult conversation or a, when a weird request has been made or a difficult request to go into even that as a learner. And the outcome is so significantly different. Have you ever experienced that? It is so true. Like when you can, I, I'm just writing notes, when you can be rooted in curiosity, right? And hold that space. Because then it's not an attack or in a defense, but you're there learning. And for me, I, it opens up my brain, right? When I, can, when, when I could say that I'm a slow learner, I gave myself permission and then it was like, look, I know as I practice, I'll be willing to learn. I also be willing to ask those difficult questions where most people will say, oh, I don't want to ask that questions because I don't want to be imposing or I don't want people to know that um, I don't know this, right? So I don't want to challenge my boss, you know, because we don't do that because they're the boss, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, Ellen Longer at uh, Harvard, you know, everybody talks now about mindfulness and how can you be mindful and, you know, there seems to be a lot of buzz around mindfulness and we all say mindfulness and sort of nod our head wisely like, yes, of course, this is the most important thing. But I love Ellen Longer, who's the great uh, researcher on this at Harvard. Her definition of mindfulness is notice something new. Mm. I mean, how elegant and simple is that? Mm-hmm. And how much of a partner is that with the idea of being a learner? So, for instance, for me to be mindful, of course, I don't have, I mean, I have a home office, so I don't drive anywhere. But but let's say I'm driving to meet a client and I go see this client every week. Um, I could do it mindlessly, mm-hmm. just on autopilot and sort of, you know, listen to the radio or worried about what I'm going to do or 
planning or something like that, or I can do it mindfully, which is I'm going to notice new stuff as I'm driving from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And that may make me curious. Oh, I guess the kids have, the bus stop has changed for the high schoolers. Oh, the leaves are starting to change. Oh, look at that. They're making an addition on their house, whatever. That is like, that is also an open and curious mind, which keeps you from things I think like, you know, depression, being in a rut, um, feeling stuck, um, struggling with what's next. Mm-hmm. So much as if, if I can just notice something new, I'm going to be satisfying that curiosity and that learning. Mm-hmm. Well, well, because then you're, you're there, you're paying attention and that curiosity, right, is such just a great um, container to, to explore things at, don't you think? I do. And, and you know, it, it's kind of a radical, it's kind of radical because, you know, especially in uh, workplaces, so many people feel like they have to armor up, mm-hmm. you know, that they're going to be humiliated or made fun of or prevented from having an opportunity if they are, if they show too much vulnerability and the vulnerability that comes from, I'm not tracking with you right now. Would you please, you know, help mm-hmm. me understand exactly what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Um, some organizations that's not really allowed. Mm-hmm. So if you can create an environment, a scenario where that is allowed and where you model it for other people, gosh, that is radical. You know, that is, that is like mind blowing and paradigm shifting. And I, that's why I think it's so necessary today in people's lives and in their workplaces. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and being yeah, I love that. I love that coming from a place of curiosity and being willing to ask those questions from that standpoint, right? And it's not about putting somebody else down or um, any of that stuff. It's just this curious place, which is a, a much safer place to be able to be vulnerable. Right. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, I'm an empty nester and um, s- someone said, well, this year, you know what to expect, Right. Mm -hmm. And my thought was, you know, actually, I don't want to know what to expect. I want to be surprised. Mm. I want to be delighted. I'm curious how October is going to go. I mean, last October was a certain way. This October could be exactly like that. But right now, October, whatever it is, I don't know what the month's going to be like. And I'm willing to be curious about that rather than to decide it's going to suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's not going to suck. But it, you know what I mean? But, but a lot of us decide, well, it's always sucked. It sucked last time. It's going to suck again. Mm-hmm. So again, like Pilates, it did. It was really hard the first time. I was not good at it. I didn't quite get it. But I didn't decide based on that one experience that that was going to be the way it was always going to be. However, there are things that you do try once and you say, I'm never going to do that again. And it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, um, steak tartare, you know, which mm-hmm. is raw meat. Mm-hmm. You can try that once. And if you don't like it, you don't have to eat it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you, you go to a party or you have lunch with somebody and it's a really horrible experience. Don't do it again. Anything that's a horrible experience, you don't have to do it again. If it's a hard experience, though, you might really prosper from trying it a second time. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and and I think it's it's dependent on what the activity is, right? Again, state tartar. If that's not your thing, why revisit it? Um, with I with definitely, you know, especially in my area, physical movement. One of the things when kids come out and try out for a swim team, I always tell the parents, come back. You know, we do a three-day trial because that first experience is so wound up with lots of emotions, you just don't know. And so, you know, once you go a few more times, it can give you more information. And then the other aspect I always ask parents for swimming is, well, why are you here? And if it's about learning how to swim, which is an important life skill, then it's about moving through that uncomfortableness. And and I always know that by the, you know, the end of the six weeks or eight weeks or 12 week session, depending on what it is, people are really grateful, right? That they stuck through and moved through that part because their why was so important, a mm-hmm. life skill, right? Where Pilates isn't a life skill. So doing a month, I know when I did Bikram yoga for the first time and I, I didn't, there was a time in my life that yoga was not exercise. Like I did not believe it. It was like one of those, um, just, you know, I put it in the same category and people are going to hate this as pedicures. I was like, really? That's a pretty frivolous thing. And it was my own naivety. And then I did yoga and then I taught yoga and then I wound up doing Bikram. And the only reason I went back on day two was because I bought a 10 day pass for $20. I was like, well, I should go back and get my money's worth. Right. right? Because it was everything that I hated logistically. Like it was you sweat, which I didn't like as a swimmer. You were told what to do. You were in a stinky room and you were only allowed to drink when the teacher allowed you to. So I didn't like any of those aspects. Um, and But then after I went the 10 times, or I went about four or five times actually, then all of a sudden it was like, my body kind of was like, hmm, this feels good. And I right. kept going because I was like, well, it just doesn't make sense, but I'm going. And then I fell in love with it. Hmm. You know, I just fell in love with it. So if I had stopped after one, so I use that as an example, like when I go try new things, because when I walk into a fitness class and there are people that know me, I do know there's certain expectations of me. And, and quite honestly, I'm a land dork. Like I could swim, but I'm a land dork. And so, so then I walk in with the stories, the projections of people, and then me being uncomfortable and everything that I walk in the door with. And I just have to remind myself, Corinne, you're going to have to come back. You can't, you, you don't have enough information on the first go around. Give it some time. And so that's what's going on in my head when I'm in a new situation like that. Yes. And I will say, if it's horrible, I mean, if you, whatever, anything, whether it's movement or it's food or it's a human being or whatever, if something is horrible, I give you permission to quit. Mm-hmm. But if it's hard, that's different. Mm-hmm. Like I do the crossword puzzle every day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this about me. I do the crossword puzzle from the Washington Post every day in pen and I give myself 10 to 12 minutes to do it. And to me, um, it's hard, but it's not horrible. It's hard and it's like a problem to f- figure out. It's a, it's, it's hard, mm-hmm. but it's, also kind of fun. And so I think that's to me is is the dividing point is you you don't stick with something that's absolutely horrible just because you know you feel like I should have some stick to itiveness. Mm-hmm. If it's horrible, quit or stop. Mm-hmm. But if it's hard, you might just benefit from sticking with it a little bit like as a learner. Mm-hmm. 
And the other thing, like I remember I was at this conference probably about 12 years ago and Thomas Friedman and Tony Blair were up there having a great dialogue. And one of the things that they talked about was being a lifelong learner and how important that is. It's not that you go to school and then you're done learning, but you're constantly learning. And that's one of the things that I love about you is that you're always learning, right? You're good at what you do, but you're always willing to learn and be curious. And that is so important for us to be constantly learning throughout our lives. And open to feedback, you know, um, open to getting feedback on how things are going with like our, you know, now she's my BFF because I heard her speak, but uh, Brene Brown, you know, Uh says, if you're not in the arena, though, I'm not interested in your opinion. And I think that's the thing is, is to be open to feedback, but also to understand where's the person who's giving me the feedback? Where are they coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, what's their, where's, what's their perspective? And even what can I learn about life from their perspective? Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily have to take their feedback on board if it doesn't make sense to me or if they're not actually in the arena where I am in, you know, where I'm operating. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? Do you, are I, you swayed by um, feedback from everybody? So I think that's an important boundary to have, like, because you don't want to have, you don't want to be where, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks. Right? right, because that's a really dangerous road. But know whose opinion matters is really important. And but the other side in that equation of your opinion also has to matter as well. And and that becomes really important. So knowing who are the people whose opinion matters in your life or in that in that specific arena. So whether it's work, your family, you know, relationship knowing who the, whose opinion matters in each of those different arenas, but your opinion has to matter too. So somebody may say, oh, this, and then you have to think, okay, is that true? Does, is that true for me? Does that line up with my values? That, does that line up with my priorities? You know, my own personal integrity. And, right. and, 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 and so there's not this, rarely is there, and I, you could correct me on this because I could be wrong, but I think rarely is there this right or wrong right answer it's about lining up and and being open to certain people's opinions because you also have to know where why are they having those opinions right what is what's the reason behind it sometimes Um, because sometimes people will hate on because they're envious of it they're jealous of it Uh or it threatens their their worldview you Mm -hmm. know like um at-home moms can never really uh, after you've been at home with your kids, you can never get a significant job. Mm-hmm. And then you do. Mm-hmm. And it que- it may- calls into question everything they've accepted about their lives. Mm-hmm. And so you have to accept, you have to kind of get into their shoes and understand where they're coming from to realize their concerns they're voicing to you actually have nothing to do about you, mm-hmm. but everything to do about their fear. Mm-hmm. I just, um, I've been listening to Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Oh, have you? And, um, and I, and, and I, it's so funny because she talks about eat, pray, love. So I'll have to put this little disclosure. This is how I always preference it because I really am enjoying big magic. And I'm really, really surprised because I tried three times to finish eat, pray, love, and I never could. And I'm pretty much a person when I start something, I finish it no matter what. So, but I did see the movie because Julia Roberts is one of my favorite actors. Um, but, 
so I've always had this kind of bias, but I have really enjoyed Big Magic. But she has this great saying in there that I'm going to start to use is let other people have their opinions. In fact, let other people love their opinions. You just don't have to take it on. And I thought, wow, that is such a loving way instead of, you know, opinion noted or something that can be a bit more abrasive. Like people are going to have their opinions just because they have it. It doesn't mean you need to rule your life by it. That's, you know, that's absolutely right. And I have to tell you, I didn't care for Eat, Pray, Love either. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I gave it away. I gave it to somebody. <laughs> but um, but I did like her, The Signature of All Things, which is her fiction book that came out last year. I thought that was really great. I haven't picked up Big Mag- Magic yet. But I do think, you know, it's like when you get to that space in your life where you love everybody, mm-hmm. even if they're different from you, even if they have a different point of view, even if they're, you know, crazy people. I mean, I don't mean crazy people. I mean, you know, they're very extreme in their views. Mm -hmm. You can love that about them. That doesn't mean I don't need to merge with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need to merge with anybody to be a whole person. I can be me and I can see where I stop and they start. And that's actually deeply, powerfully respectful Mm -hmm. Um, to not not either want to make you like me or make myself like you, but instead live, you know, coexist together in in full appreciation of everything that you bring. But again, to do that, I think you have to have that learner's mindset mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh my gosh, there's a guy in a wife beater shirt. He's probably a jerk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it just, when you go into that learner's mindset, it just opens up. It's like, how can we learn from this? Instead of going into that fixed mindset, like Carol Dweck would say, where then it's really that's rooted in shame and judgment. Like when I compile that with all the other work that I, you know, do is that there's the, the, the fixed mindset is defining. It's the labeling. See, I'm not very smart. I'm not a good leader. I'm not a good communicator. All of those stories, but that's really rooted in shame and um, fear a lot of times. But the growth mindset, I believe, is really rooted in a place of compassion, curiosity, you know, where you're not defining yourself by your mistakes. You're saying, hey, look, we this is what happened. Let's let's unpack this. Let's mm-hmm. take a look at this. What can we learn from it? It doesn't define us, right? And that's, I think, the thing that the fixed mindset's always concerned about is the defining who we are. And then that forever will be who we are forever. And, you know, as a parent, and, you know, my children are a little bit older than your children, but, you know, when my children were kind of experimenting with alcohol, for instance, mm-hmm. um, I could say to them, so tell me what that was like for you. Mm-hmm. And when one of them said, you know, I don't really like the taste of beer. And that's really everything that's at a party. And so I decided if I open one beer and I just hold it in my hand the entire party, mm-hmm. it's fine for me. Mm-hmm. It's that. See, even that curiosity of saying, how was that for you? Not, don't you dare do that. Mm-hmm. You know what the consequences are. You know, alcoholism runs the family. Wag, wag, wag my finger. Mm-hmm. Instead, that curious open stance of saying, what was that like for you? Mm-hmm. That invites the other person to be themselves instead of worrying the whole rest of their life. Maybe I'm not enough because my parent never asked me, what I thought. Mm-hmm. 
I, I just, I think it's, you know, judgment or, or curiosity. And in the work that I do with my clients, they use a lot of judgment on themselves because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're hardwired that way, right? It, it happens family of origin. Mm-hmm. It happens in education. It happens in athletics. It happens in workplace. So we're hardwired that way. But the reason that my clients work with me and then they get, they do good work, you know, they make huge changes in their life mm-hmm. is because I hold this compassionate, curious place for them. We're, we're not judging. Let's, let, let's, let's unpack this. Let's look at this, right. you know, and for your kids to look and go, Hey, look, I didn't really like the beer, but I also know that it's easier to be at a party with other peers if I've got the beer in my hand. Right. Right. Because at when you're a teenager, it is really hard to be authentic. There's so much pressure about, you know, this is what you, there are so many rules about this is what you need to do to fit in and be accepted. And, and so that's what, that's, that's a great strategy, I think, for teenagers, you know, to do. Oh, I can just imagine the hate emails I'm getting right now. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's, it's a really, it's actually a hard parenting row because so many of our friends and our, you know, our peer group as parents, you know, I, I've been at lunch recently with somebody who kind of got on a soapbox about what their children were and were not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, at some point they actually go away because mm-hmm. I'm in that point. And by that point, they're going to make some choices on their own mm-hmm. that you have nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you want is, you, I think, you want them to be able to make the kind of decision that's going to learn to make decisions that are going to be in their best interest and in line with their integrity. So, Michelle, I had this great guest, uh, Mike Riera. And he has written books called, I think it's Connecting with Your Teen. And he's been on other stuff. And he's been on Oprah. And he's the dean, head dean master down in Brentwood, um, California, in Southern California. But he had this great saying that I just love. He said, when kids are little, you are the manager of their life. You manage every aspect, right? Who their friends are, what they're doing, when they go to sleep, the sports, all of that. And then he goes, when they become a teen or tween, they fire you. Mm-hmm. They absolutely fire you. And somebody tried to say, and he goes, no, they fire you. Just get real with that. And if you're lucky, they will invite you back as their consultant. And I think that is a beautiful container to have for parents of teens because you're right. They have so much more independence. There's so much time that we don't know what's going on right? Compared to when they're little and we're picking who their friends are with playgroups and stuff. There's just a lot of, and so how, how can they practice this within a safe container of still living at home? And then once they like you're in situation where the kids have left the home, it didn't go from you totally managing their life until they're 18 to all of a sudden they're now in total control, right? There's been this gradual change, a shift in their, in their lives. And I think that's important to practice. I went to a dinner I went to dinner on Wednesday night with two friends of mine and our kids went to school together since pre-K. So, you know, everybody's college or, you know, flown the coop or whatever. And so we were talking and while, while we were sitting down, my daughter Grace uh, called and I got on, I said, hello, I'm, I'm with Susan and Deborah and uh, they're more important to me than you are because you don't live here anymore. Ha ha ha. You know, it was a joke. Mm-hmm. And Grace said, well, tell them I said hi and then call me later. And both of my friends said, oh, 
uh, do you want to talk to Grace? I'm like, I know she calls, you know, we speak almost every day. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me and they said, you're, you talk to your child every day. Mm -hmm. Well, they have boys, but I said, well, I, I field calls from her every day. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not in a, um, unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. It's in a, it's in a, I'm her consultant. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I relish that role. And I appreciate that role. And I'm glad I have it. Um, and, and so what, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that like, I think as a parent, when you foster when they're 8, 9, 10, and they're starting to make that kind of move into individualhood, um, individuality, that, that you create this way that they can have a point of view when they're little. Mm-hmm. And then that, that expands as they get bigger. To the point when they're 20 years old, they actually do want your opinion because you've, you've respected their opinion all the way along and they respect yours in return. Mm-hmm. Well, and so one of the things like the backstory for people who may have not, you know, heard because we've talked about this before, but you've cultivated this relationship. You've been planting seeds for many, many years to get to this point, it's not like you have this arrangement with her where she must call, but you thought about, and that was one of the things that has always inspired me as a parent of what is the relationship I want to have with my child when they're 20 or 25 or 45 and looking at that and going, okay, what are the things that I need to do to create that kind of a relationship instead of, oh, it just happened, right? There, there was, it didn't just happen to you. There was a cultivation that occurred through the years of your parenting. It was very deliberate. That's right. That's absolutely right. And, you know, when I think about um, the last, let's see, uh, 23 years of parenthood, 23-ish, 23 and a half years parenthood, roughly, um, I I think about it. It's not like one day you can say this is the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's just like Pilates, right, or any breaststroke, you know, it's every day as a learner, you add to it. Every day you add to your body of work, your ability to understand. You add, it's like a layering mm-hmm. so that, you know, ultimately what exists is some great testimony to the way you've conducted yourself, I think. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to a question I have for you. With being a learner, do you ever get overwhelmed with learning too much? Such a great question. Um, on the Colby assessment of cognitive style, which mm-hmm. I really highly recommend to people, um, it's at Colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com, I believe. Um, but I'm a fact finder, mm-hmm. and but I'm paired with um, a quick start. So I'm somebody who likes to get some data together, see what that's all about. And then I act. So I'm not somebody who roommates for a long period of time. I also think that's temperament and training. Because when I worked at the White House, the, the area that I worked in in the White House was, um, you know, presidential travel in advance. And a lot of times you don't, you don't have six weeks to mull over what the right approach is. You know, you've got a, a week to put together an event for 40,000 people. So you have to be decisive. Mm-hmm. And I would say I'm a fact finder who's decisive. Um, so I, I never feel as though 
I'm overlearned or I'm uh, really exhausted by learning. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you feel? What, what's your experience? <laughs> um, well, I also think it's because you have real, <coughs> excuse me, good boundaries. <coughs> um, so my experience, I have at times been overwhelmed because just the way that the show was set up, I was constantly mm-hmm. learning and there was a while there that I used to do two live radio shows a week. Mm. Right. And, and then I just got on this hamster wheel. And so uh, I now do have uh, boundaries around um, what I'm going to learn and how much time am I going to give it instead of thinking I should be learning more, learning more, this layering. So uh, I, I've, yes, I've gotten, I've, there were years that I was very overwhelmed and now I know what my toolbox is. I have that. And I'm always willing to learn because I also don't, don't think that learning only occurs from a book or a classroom. Like I believe life is a classroom. So I can, I'm still willing to learn in conversations and lots of different areas. But I have a better container around that, if that makes sense. So and this is a little like, uh, okay, I'm now I'm going to climb up on my soapbox. But I think there is a little something in sort of our coaching world and also in sort of a lot of the um, professional helping fields is the people who are constantly going after certifications. Mm hmm because they want letters behind their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also in other fields. Um, I have a client who is extremely well-educated who recently wrote to me and asked, did I think he should get a second master's degree for $60,000 in a very narrow slice of technology? And my first, I didn't, he, he emailed me. So my first thought was, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. But there are some people and some families and some cultures that value that formal education. Mm -hmm. And so there are people who constantly pursue formal education because that's what's done in their culture. But I don't think it necessarily makes them more effective than somebody who's learned by experience. What do do you think of that? Oh, I totally agree. And so, but there is that what is, what's their belief systems about their own value? And if it's the the letters after their name, right? right? Or is it that, hey, this is, this is what I can learn. That's why I think it's important to understand where does learning come from? Because for a long time, I was really programmed to believe learning came from a classroom. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened. And when Tony Blair and Thomas Friedman talked about lifelong learning, it doesn't end after you leave the university. Because I remember there was a point where after my master's degree, I was thinking about, do I get a PhD? And, you know, in teaching at a community college, you can teach with a, a, a master's degree. But if I went the PhD route, I could make more money. And I started doing the math and it just didn't make sense. And then I'd have to move to Ohio and it got really complicated. And I thought, well, this doesn't make sense. And for what I'm doing, I didn't need more. So, um, but people do the, what their belief systems really can shape how much they need instead of looking in about what it is that they need to know and do they have the information to, to execute? And is my search for knowledge a delaying tactic yep. to keep me from actually being out in the world, to being in the arena, as Brene Brown would say? Mm-hmm. Is it a way to say, well, you know, I can do that once I check this thing off the box, mm-hmm. you know, and or off the list? And I think a lot of times it's important to challenge yourself about what is the learning? Is learning joyful? 
Is it is it inspiring? Is it does it feel fulfilling, or is it actually a dodge to keep you away from doing something that that needs doing, or keep you from doing something that you intuitively know is not the right thing for you? There's also that side. Well, that's why I think it's important to know what's underneath the action, right? Yeah. Where where what's the emotion that's driving it, and um. So when you know that and you can understand that, then that makes it much simpler because definitely when you can learn from a place of curiosity, I'm, I'm a really, that's one of my top values on my VIA is curiosity. I re, I'm just curious. I'm interested in stuff, but I'm also give myself permission that I don't have to be interested in everything, right? That right. if I don't know what's happening in certain parts of the world, that doesn't mean that I'm not intelligent or that I'm um, heartless. I just, my capacity is in these specific areas. I am not at all interested in spa services. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know this is like a uh, blasphemous to a lot of uh, friends of mine, but I, uh, someone recently asked me to go for a week to this thing. And I looked, I thought it was a resort and it turns out to be like a wellness center thingy. Mm-hmm. And the more I read about what you do all day, I thought, this is the worst thing in the world. And I mentioned it to my daughter and she said, mom, you hate spas. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're right. I hate spas. Mm-hmm. I just, it, and it's not, I don't think it's self-indulgent. I don't have a, I don't have a judgment around any of it. It's if, if it works for you, fine. But for me, I, it's kind of irrelevant to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, not that I'm, that, you know, I haven't lost my girl card or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. It's just I, if I've got a hundred units of energy a day, I'm not going to put one of them on spa services. I know that about myself, and I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be great if more people could say, you know what, I realize that there's a problem in Eritrea, mm-hmm. and I com- I completely acknowledge that. But right now, I'm going to put my energy on something else. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine. Yeah, and um, I, so I think that part's really important. So I, yes, people go and chase stuff because I think it's in this illusion that it's going to make them whole. But what do you already know on the inside, right? And 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 granted, you can't be a doctor without the right licensing, right? So there's certain things that you can't do. But sometimes we think that. Like in Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert was talking about people who go and get an MFA or go to art school. She's like, I I don't really know if that's such a good idea, right? You're spending all of this money and is that really going to help you or is that just validating, you know, are you paying for that to validate who you, who you want to be Mm -hmm. versus just saying, this is, I am an artist or I am a writer or I am a coach, whatever it may be, and being willing to do the work because we can then instead of, because I think what happens, and this is what you were referring to earlier, instead of, as Brene would say, stepping into the arena and owning your profession, right? Or owning the work that you want to do, it's a way to distract yourself and not to go, okay, I don't have to go into the arena yet because I still have to learn this stuff. You're always going to be learning. There's always going to be learning that's going on. Even doctors, even people who are doctors now and are done with medical school, they're still learning. Mm-hmm. There's still journals for them to read. They're still learning. There's still, you know, a patient comes in and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to help this patient with maybe their cancer or whatever it may be, right? There's always ongoing learning. But to think that, I think some people will use it as a way to, oh, I'm not ready yet, right? So let me stay out here. I'm not going to go into the arena 
because I need to learn more. And then I'll finally go into the arena. Who am I to call myself a writer, right? Who, I mean, that's that's sort of it. Who am I to call myself a painter or a sculptor or whatever whatever my way or even, you know, who am I to call myself a senior vice president? You know, I mean, I certainly work with people who have, you know, the, you know, how do I deserve it? The the uh, imposter syndrome sort of um, issue. And the thing is, like, I, I would agree with Elizabeth Gilbert, and she's been writing about this outside of her book, is is that if you do it, you are one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it almost doesn't matter how skillful you are. I mean, look at Grandma Moses as a painter. Mm-hmm. You know, she was not, she did not, her paintings did not look like Michelangelo. You know, they didn't look like anything that anybody had ever really seen before on a gallery wall. But she became legendary, famous, sought after as a painter in a very primitive style. So my my feeling is the world is so diverse now and there's so many ways to get out to people that now it's never been a better time to be somebody who owns who you are and what it is that you do because there's going to be an audience whether you're a senior vice president or whether you're a you know girl scout leader there's never a better time to do it than today because there's so many places where you can be accepted and it takes that learner's mindset, that ability to say, I'm probably going to get better at this Mm -hmm. and I'm okay with being out there in the world with a first draft. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm out there, I'm okay in the first, to have my Mm -hmm. first book published, even though I look at the first book I published and it sucks. Mm -hmm. But I love that I did it. Mm -hmm. I love that about me. Mm -hmm. Well, and knowing that, like, I mean, gosh, if we went back, you know, I'm almost hitting nine years. Next week will be nine years that I've been doing the show. And what, if I were to go back and I ha- sometimes have gone back and I'm like, oh gosh, I said that or I can't believe I did this. But that was part of my journey to get me here. I couldn't skip over that. And, and that's, I think something important is that being willing to learn and being a learner means you fall down, you get up, you make mistakes, right? It, there's there's a lot of stumbling and you go through hard things and and then there's some stuff that come to you and you're like, wow, when the integration happens, it, it it's kind of amazing. I mean, it is kind of beautiful, but it's not the straight line, you know? And I think that's something we have to get over because we education is the straight line. You go to kindergarten, you graduate in 12th grade, you go to university, you graduate, you get your master's and you get your PhD. It's kind of the straight line. But what people don't see is it's a windy road to even to that PhD. Right. Well, Michelle, on that note, it's time to wrap up. So thank you so much for having this conversation. Thank you. I value these uh, conversations we have so much and I'm so glad we're doing them regularly. Thank you for everything you do. Well, thank you. And I learned from these conversations. So this is another example of how we can learn. Absolutely. All right, I'm back. I just never know what's going to transpire in these conversations. We have a conversation topic we're going to talk about and then the things that evolve out of the conversation. So I want to circle back to Michelle mentioning Kathy Colby. And I actually have an interview with Kathy from years ago, and I will put that link in the show notes. And it's an interesting process because you're going to hear me talk about, I'm a quick fix and I believe a follow through. And I was 
not happy with some of the results on there. And she was explaining to me what they meant versus what I thought they meant. And I'm definitely a quick start follow through. So I do really like Kathy Colby's assessment and I'll have links to that as well. Uh, It is an assessment that you do pay for online, but you can go ahead and listen to the interview if you're interested in your connotative style and what that actually means. I want to go back to this topic that we discussed about the quick fix. And I really believe that's one of the things that gets in the way of allowing ourselves to be lifelong learners or to be a learner in something new, especially when we've achieved a certain level of success or we have a reputation to uphold. So whether it's in the workplace, in our community or our family, once we've gotten to a certain level, it becomes riskier in a sense to walk in and say, oh, I don't know. Or for somebody like me, for example, there's a perception about my athletic abilities and there's stories about my athletic abilities based on who I once was at 20 versus who I am today at 43. And realizing that just because I was a national champion in swimming in college doesn't mean I'm not a land dork. If you're a swimming person out there, you know what that means. For those of you that don't, swimmers tend to have a more difficult time being coordinated on land. And yes, that can be a story. I realize that. But so giving yourself permission to let go of that quick fix mentality that we have. And with anything, when you're learning a new skill set, for me, I had to overcome that even in learning how to cook a few years ago. Or like with the clients I have, they want that immediate transformational change to happen, happen. And realizing it's not a quick fix. Change happens in small moments over time. So I really encourage you to practice. And then the other thing is if it is really a horrible experience, and I guess I'm thinking about like with the steak tartare, that's not an issue. If it's horrible, don't eat it. With When you go and put yourself in a new activity, maybe you're going to go skiing with a group of friends or you're wanting to learn how to swim. It really may be horrible, but unpack that before you make a decision because it may be horrible because as an adult, you're walking in with a huge bag of fear, with a huge bag of previous experiences. When I used to teach adults how to swim, you know, they, what they were doing was so courageous. They, they have body shame that they're working through. They don't want to be half naked in front of all these other people. This idea of I should know, already know how to swim. So it's horrible. It's not a fun experience the first day. And then I'm telling them what to do, but they keep coming back. And again, knowing your why you're doing it and unpacking the horribleness of it. Is it the actual activity is horrible or is it the the baggage that you're bringing in with you when you go and do that activity or that event? And the same thing with social engagements, like unpacking that experience instead of like, oh, that was just horrible. I'm done, right? Really understanding what was about it. And what were the triggers? Maybe it's really against your values. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's where I think when we can give ourselves permission as adults in our lives and leaders in our own life to really explore and that there doesn't have to be a right or wrong answer or that I can have permission that maybe I don't really like big social galas. I went to one earlier this year. And after that experience, I just realized after all the hoopla, I give myself permission. I don't have to attend galas. Getting dressed up, doing all that stuff, it's not for me what I want. It could be an event to go to and be fun, but on my list of things to do, it's kind of like where Michelle is with spas. It's just not on her bucket list. So giving yourself permission, it wasn't horrible, but it didn't really line up with my values and 
you know, I may go to one again if if the it lines up, maybe somebody I care about is being honored, then I would go. But if it's just to go to Gala to fill up a Friday night, I'm not going. So I really invite you to give yourself permission to unpack it. And I love this idea of permission. It's so important. And so when we were talking about overwhelm of learning, there was a period of time where I was overwhelmed doing two live radio shows and all of a sudden reading two books a week for guests. And I'm not a fast reader and wanting to do such a good job for my guests and for the listeners that there was a lot of pressure and I was putting pressure on myself and wanting to do it really well. And, you know, there was that perfectionism that was coming out, which is, we all know, it comes out of, it's rooted in shame, right? Am I going to do this well enough? Is this going to be good enough? Am I going to waste my guest time? Am I going to waste my listeners time? That is not a great learning environment. And so there was a lot of overwhelm. And honestly, it wasn't a good boundary for me to expect myself, who's not a fast reader, to read two books on top of everything else that I do in a week. That was another 40 hours a week that I was putting into already full work week. So not having an appropriate container of that. And so eventually I dropped down to one show a week. And over the past and since 2000, late 2014, I have um, only done a few book shows around a book and it's been more about conversations, which has really helped with my workload and also let go of this overwhelm of needing to learn. As you heard, I'm reading another book. Actually, there's a couple of books I'm reading, but it's for me just fun reading, joy reading. And there's some stuff in there like, oh my gosh, that's a great thing, right? Just that letting other people have their opinions letting other people love their opinions. It doesn't mean that I have to take it on. I was, that was like, it just rocked me when I heard that yesterday. So I'm still learning, but without this, I have to deliver. And it's been just a nice freedom. So I've given myself permission where, hey, I'm going to try this experiment with my show. And I know many of you were nervous because I've received the emails at the beginning, like, I don't know how this is going to go. And you've really come to love it. And having these different guest co-hosts where we talk about these things and have these conversations and then how does it really apply so you can get some insight for your own life and take some nuggets of information instead of thinking, here is this one book and the promise of the book is it's going to change my life. It's going to fix me right? It's that quick fix. If I just do everything perfectly that this author says, or this researcher, or this thought leader says, then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to finally be in enough. And the reality is there's not one cookbook that is the all. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you have yours, right? I'm sure that this interview or this conversation is going to spur a lot of emails in my inbox. But I have always kind of gone, gosh, if I could just have that one cookbook where all of my recipes, well, really what I've had to do is build my own binder of recipes I've collected. And it's the same thing of like when I used to have this belief that Costco should be the only place I should have to shop because it would it would align with my values and priorities of financial frugality and time efficiency. I go one place, get it all done and be done with it. They should have everything there. But really, do I want the buyers of Costco to be the the only influencers in my life? Or do I want the ability to pick and choose from the different places? So that becomes something really important. And finally, the other reason that you know, I made the change up in the formatting of my show was 
the integrating piece, like really integrating all of this knowledge that has gone on in the show over the past soon to be nine years, or maybe when you hear this will be after nine years. So integrating, and I've been putting some boundaries around my reading and around my learning because I want to integrate it. I want to learn it deep, not just the surface where I can reiterate it. Because while I know that I'm a slow learner, I'm a quick start. And I can get things quickly, intellectually, I can speak it, but how many of you have a difficult time actually living it, right? Practicing it, doing it. And then we can beat ourselves up. Well, I know this intellectually, why aren't I not doing it? And so for me, you know, as I think about, and I'm really cautious because there's so many books that I want to read. I just like, I saw a parent the other day on the pool deck with the book and I'm like, oh, that's on my list. I want to read it, but I'm really not. So I'm actually going to ask him to give me his key learnings because I already have my list of books that I really want to read and study and and learn and impact and integrate it. And so I may or may not, I have to remind myself that the publishers and the authors are producing at a faster rate than I can ever learn. And that goes back into this efficiency thing, productivity part of me, who's like, you just must get caught up and then get ahead. Well, it's impossible. Really think how many books, I don't even know what the numbers are, are, you know, sold every day that are come out every day. I can't read them all. So what are the ones that are really important to me that line up? And what are the ones I may be open to and be surprised like Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, right? I was very surprised that I took to that book because I had some stories about her writing and how they weren't a fit for me. So we just never know. And then finally, before I go, I want to invite you to let go of that word just. This has to do with how Michelle closed out, like own your value, own your place in the world. Let go of that word just. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a mom. I'm just a, a young person. I'm just retired. Like let go of that word. Own who you are. I'm a writer. I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. You are contributing in your world and own that part. I invite you to at least. So thanks so much for listening. And I just want to let you know, we are building a community here at How She Really Does It. There's some stuff that's going to be upcoming, maybe by the time this shows up or maybe after it comes up. But I'm working on a big project right now that I'll be talking about later on. But so go to my website at howshereallydoesit.com to sign up for free and you'll be get my newsletters that come out every week. And that's an opportunity for you and I to connect. And a lot of times I get listeners who send me a question and sometimes that becomes the way for me to go look for who's the guest that I can have that can help answer it. Or maybe I'll answer it in a newsletter in the letter portion that I write each week. And if you like what you're hearing, let me know. Go to head over to iTunes and leave a comment there. And it's time to do a shout out to Kay Merriment for your feedback. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to leave a comment on iTunes. I understand that it is a little bit laborious, so I do appreciate that. A special thanks to Michelle for joining us. And until next time, remember, curiosity and learning equal growth. I'm smiling big for you. She is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.